0: Hello, and welcome back to Goddess of Crypto. I have with me today Krista Mariah, and she is the Chief Inspiration Officer for Future Advisory Board. We met recently at a really cool show called Quantum Miami, which was all about everything Web3, blockchain, and the metaverse. And I invited her to sit down with me. So we could have discussion about what I like to call all the things.
1: The sacred divine feminine is creative, abundant, flowing, receiving, and disruptive. And the new energy of money, including cryptocurrency, decentralized finance, NFTs, and even the metaverse is all these things too. Welcome to the Goddess of Crypto, a weekly show where women who are already in this powerful space will cover these topics simply so you can relax into knowing that the future of finance is female.
0: Because there's so much to talk about these days, Krista, welcome. Welcome.
2: Thank you so much, Hallie. It is an honor to be here. I'm excited for the conversation and can't wait to get started. So thank you.
0: Why don't you start by sharing a little bit about your background and what caused you to end up in the Web3 space?
2: Sure. So I like to start my story by saying I was raised by hippies, rebelled against them, joined the corporate world. And then realized that they actually knew a thing or two. So I'm finding my way back to my own path and my own spirituality in life. So that's the short story. I worked for a company called Gartner for almost six years. Uh, And the story goes, I was hired, fired, acquired, rehired, And now I say retired and they are (laughs) the world's largest research and advisory firm for technology decisions. So essentially technology organizations that the world's largest enterprises, governments, companies hire Gartner to help them make better technology decisions and now leadership and management decisions because they acquired a company called the Corporate Executive Awards. So now they've expanded to advising on all C-level verticals within an organization.
0: Sounds about as corporate as you can get. Absolutely. And then what caused you to go from there into the Web3 and metaverse space?
2: Yeah. So when I was with Gartner, I worked with CIOs, which are typically when you say CIO, it's a chief information officer. So they have responsibility over the IT and technology decisions of a company. And what I realized is I was a huge geek for learning about technology and understanding how companies made decisions and how people made decisions. So through my time at Gartner, I got to actually sit with the analysts who are doing the research and hear them advising the companies, the CIOs who are making the decisions. And I got to be a fly on the wall for some really fascinating conversations. A lot of them being around innovation and looking at this fourth industrial revolution where the convergence of these emerging technologies like cloud, 3D printing, AI, quantum coming up, All of these virtual reality, all of these new emerging technologies are coming together and essentially allowing us to disrupt ourselves as humans and kind of creatively destroy the systems that we've been building and create a whole new world. And so what I see is huge opportunity. I think now is the most exciting time to be alive. In our history, that I'm aware That's of. That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, why not be in this space? That was my thought process going into it. I'll tell you, I came into the Web3 space with a focus and a purpose in 2021. So, I wasn't an early adopter. I did go to a lot of networking events. I heard a lot about blockchain technology and when Bitcoin came out, when Ethereum came out, all of these new exciting technologies, I heard about them, but there wasn't a whole lot of trust. And for myself, I didn't have a whole lot of extra money to be playing around or investing in these spaces until 2021, when my last corporate job, I had actually created this role and it was a VP of Global Alliances for a software company that actually started out in creating the zip format and working on mainframes, helping them compress data. Yeah,
0: that's what I was going to say. So zip for anybody who doesn't know, and I always like to explain that technology terms is data compression. So like six files turn into one file that's called zipped, and then you unzip it to open it up. And then it's a way to transfer the files faster.
2: Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. No, that's great. And fun fact, it was invented by Phil Katz, who was the founder of PKWare. And that was the last company that I worked for before being laid off. As COVID arrived, they sold the company The CEO who had hired me had stepped down and thus our executive team dissipated into the layoff. Then I had the opportunity to really explore what I wanted to do on my own, which for me, I always found joy in bringing people together and especially really smart, forward thinking and positively focused visionaries. So these are the people I get energy in working with. And I wanted to help them create safe spaces for retreats. One of my last roles at Gartner, I was responsible for the Global CISO Executive Summit, which was a three-day event for the heads of cybersecurity for large enterprises. And there was a small fraction of these CISOs, as we call them, CISO, that are women. So that was my idea was I'm going to bring executive women who have responsibility in cybersecurity together in these transformative retreats. And we're going to then come up with ideas, solutions, initiatives, projects that will help to invent and secure the future we want to live in.
0: It's an interesting thing because I don't know. I mean, I know this is stereotyping terribly. So I'm not trying to offend everybody, but my brain just goes, well, I really think of security, especially stuff like cybersecurity as being stuff that men are interested in. I mean, you always see those spy movies with women who are infiltrating or whatever, but it just seems like it's more of a geeky guy territory. Yet I know that women are interested in that kind of stuff, and I think that if we gave women a chance to come up with solutions, we probably would see some pretty innovative ones.
2: Absolutely. And I think that's what we're seeing as we diversify some of these more traditionally or stereotypically male fields like IT and cybersecurity. When I was running that particular event, it was 11% of cybersecurity or information security professionals were female. And that number has been growing, it's also been shrinking. It it tends to rise when we put programs in place and we build a safe space for women to come in because as with male dominated industries, there can also be opportunity for behavior, sexual harassment, intimidation, and other behaviors that actually keep women from wanting to continue in the field.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. At the show that we were both just at together, Quantum Miami, they did a panel on a women in Web3, and they had a woman there who was the head of a Deloitte and Touche advisory group for, I believe it's for crypto, but it could be for Web3 as well, or blockchain. I'm not even sure. But she was very eloquent, and what she said that really made the most impact on me was we could potentially create fewer rules inside of a corporate environment to allow women to have more freedom to do what they want to do as far as their, their whole lives. And I'm not saying this particularly well. What she was really saying is, hey, does a woman have to work a nine to five job when she's also got to raise her babies or put her dinner on the table for her family or whatever? Might it be possible for us to say to that woman, She, this woman specifically was talking about flex hours, and might it be possible to offer a woman flex hours? And I was with a friend who's an investor who has a lot of different businesses. And I said to him afterwards, hey, have you thought about that for yourself offering this? And it was very interesting to get a man's perspective. He said, I'm sitting here listening to this panel. And I'm like, why do we need this? And the more I listen, the more I realize there seems to be a problem so big that we're not even paying attention to it. We're just like letting it slide under the mat, so to speak. And I thought that was a really good observation because he was like, I would hire anybody. I don't care what color you are, or what sex you are, or what your sexual orientation is. He's like, if you're the best person for the job. But it's interesting because I think a lot of women kind of take themselves out of the running because it's like, oh, I need these flex hours and I can only do this kind of thing. What I was saying to him is his industry is like kind of obscure. And I was like, well, if you were to offer flex hours, you might get people who would be crossing over into your industry who would otherwise not even come so that they could get that. And I feel like these conversations need to be happening more and more, especially post-COVID because we've all known what it's like to work from home now. and We've all known what it's like to have a completely random, flexible schedule. And it worked pretty well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And to go take that a step further, I have a friend, her name's Kayla Weisterhoff, I think I always say the name a little bit funny, but she studies women's neurophysiology and biofields, and she's actually created a system for business that will work with a woman's actual internal systems, meaning men are made physically to be able to essentially have the same rhythm every single day. Women, as we know, we carry babies, we carry a cycle a menstrual cycle, and our body goes through specific changes throughout the month, which affect our ability to be effective in our business. And there are certain times of the month that we have superpowers that we could be out there outperforming men all day long in this certain time frame when we have this energy and when we are meant to be in front of people and to be out on the road and do the road warrior work. There's also times when we need rest and we need to retreat because of the way that our bodies actually physically work, whether we're of childbearing age or not. And that's also been the challenge is women haven't been studied in medical studies because of the fact that we're inconsistent, but we can work through it. And I think that's what we're seeing now for the people who are paying attention, like this gentleman you're talking to, who are open to seeing that we are all different and we're different for a reason. And if we harness those differences, then we can have them work for us and with us, and we can supercharge our productivity, we can honor ourselves and our bodies and the needs of our families, and we can have better results. And I think that's where we're going. When we are actually paying attention, we are being compassionate and mindful in our conversations. And we're actually focusing on what do we want to accomplish? Where do we want to go rather than what do we want to argue or fight about?
0: Yes, that's beautifully stated. So going back to your own personal journey, I want to talk a little bit more about what delights you about the Web3 space and what direction you're taking your business now.
2: Yeah, thank you. What delights me about the Web3 space? I love the creativity. I love the community, and I love this pure potentiality. And what I mean by that is with Web3, it is showing us that we as humans actually have the ability and the sovereignty to become our own banks, our own companies, our own organizations. We have the ability and we're building the infrastructure to be able to create beyond any ways that we've been able to create in the past. And I think that's really important and I think it's beautiful. What comes with that, if you study the masculine and feminine energies or the yin and yang in Chinese tradition, it is the yin or the black or the feminine is also, it's creativity, it's also chaos. So, what is the challenging part of right now where we're at in Web3 is the chaos and the explosion of all of these projects that take some time to understand, take some time to explain. And then a lot of the times our people are jumping in and losing sight of the core ethos of what blockchain is meant to do and what this whole Web3 revolution is about Which is the decentralization of the few controlling the many so that everyone has their own self sovereignty. And then the coming together as community to support and build up one another. So I said a lot there. I don't know if you want to dive into any of that. I love all of it. The first thing that
0: occurred to me as you were talking is the idea of that creativity and the community, those are feminine characteristics and whether they are inside of a man or inside of a woman doesn't matter because when you start talking about sacred divine masculine and feminine that's what we're talking about is just the characteristics themselves not the sex characteristics but rather just those qualities as either masculine or feminine and it's beautiful to see because it really invites people in to that kind of environment i think when women find that environment welcoming It's because it's drawing on feminine qualities themselves. I want to just take a quick side note, because again, this was an observation that I had with several people. I got into this huge conversation with all these really great women at the show. It's not that men are trying to keep us out. It's not that men don't love us. It's not that we don't love men. It's nothing like that. It's more that men aren't aware that there's a problem because for them, there isn't. So they're not just paying attention to this issue. They're not paying attention to women's issues. They're not trying to make differentiations. They're just bulldozing ahead being themselves and taking care of whatever business they take care of. And then when the woman's like, hey, I got left behind or hey, I got pushed over to the side of the road or overlooked or overridden or whatever, the guy's like, wait, what? Because he wasn't paying attention enough attention in the first place. So I feel like we need to really focused on these ideas that you're sharing with us about the qualities of these types of environments, these types of job opportunities, these types of industry opportunities, because entire industries are being created right now. And to say, look, it's a new paradigm and it can be a new paradigm. We can show up differently and it doesn't matter what came before, because the rules are being written by us and we can therefore take and do whatever we would like. Some of the women that I've run into in the web three space, like for example, black technologists. Okay. They are self-described unicorns because there's just not that many of them, but it's not like somebody's saying you can't do that. They're not. It's just, there's not that many making that choice at the moment. And I hope that things will get easier for especially women of color for education going forward, but the women that are there are able to actually work in the space. And I want to see more of that. I want to see more of women saying yes to themselves, no matter how old they are, no matter what their skin color is, no matter what their background is. I can't tell you how many women I've had on the show who are like, I'm going to say like maybe a third of my guests so far who are like, I'm not qualified. You can't have me on the show yet because, for example, one woman was like, well, I just learned everything on YouTube. And I'm like, yes, and assimilated it and built a whole whatever crypto portfolio around it or an education process around it that you now teach. And that's how this goes. We're all learning and creating and developing at core like we're doing it independently and we're doing it for the very first time. Like We are the origin story of Web3, for example. So I think that's really important. Also a lot, I just realized.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well said though. And I absolutely agree. We are in this pioneering stage of this new evolution. I call it the virtual frontier of the age of abundance. So We've been in the age of abundance probably for the last, at least last decade, but it's not been distributed evenly. So we have scarcity and we have abundance, and we've got lots of different perspectives in between. And the gold rush analogy that's why we call it Bitcoin mining, because there are people literally mining this new currency that's being created digitally as if it were going out to the physical mines and those in the US, the 49ers and this gold rush that occurred. The same thing's happening. We're using a lot of resources. There are people who are brave and they're unafraid of the unknown and they're going out there and investing in these mining rigs and they're mining this currency. And if we think about this frontier and think about Well, nobody really knows. We're all discovering it. That's so empowering to me because you don't have to know and have this background. I mean, it's helpful if you have a tech background and you understand how computers work, how the Internet was created, how these new technologies are evolving together. And there are a handful of books that you could read to get a really good insights into those. And then from there, you're on even playing ground with 90% of the world. So why not take advantage of it?
0: Yeah. 90% of the informed world. Cause there's about 80% of the world that is like, what is that? I don't understand any of it, which is actually why this show exists because I want everywhere to know this is available to you. And these are the women that are doing this. And you could come play with us because it's just such an exciting time. So, You and I had a conversation the night that we met about a metaverse and about the project that you're developing in the metaverse. And I just want our viewers and our listeners to be able to hear about that because I was just so delighted by it. So please share.
2: Yeah, thank you. So when I started out in this space and really focusing in on Web3 and the opportunities for blockchain and cryptocurrencies and really building your own economy and your own community, I also recognized that we were building the new way of the future, which I actually realized was coming when it was 15 years ago. I listened to the book Hot, Flat and Crowded by Thomas Braidman, and it just painted this picture of the future where we would all be working and living remotely. We would only go into the city if we had to, and we'd drive our electric cars and we would plug in and sell our energy back to the grid because it was cheaper wherever we lived outside of the city to download it. And it was just like fascinating. And I was like, okay, this is really interesting. I wanna live in a world like this. And I wanna leave a legacy for my daughters that I help contribute to innovation, to keeping the planet alive and healthy and giving them opportunities to really just live in their own purpose and creatively. And I recognize that post-pandemic, we are starting businesses virtually without even seeing each other. In a lot of cases, you may be hiring your team and they may be on the other side of the world. And what that does is gives us the ability to instantly connect and collaborate. What it also does is it takes away from our in-person connection and that ability to build instant trust. It's much more difficult to do a Zoom call than it is to do in a week long retreat where you're deep diving into transformational conversations and going deep on who you are as a human and how that affects the way you show up in your work life. So I was really fascinated by this opportunity to build stronger relationships by bringing people together in safe spaces not only in the traditional way, which is usually you get a hotel and you're kind of in this still in the mainstream of life, but you have your group in their own little corner in conference rooms. What I wanted to do is bring people together in nature so that we can learn from the way that mother nature designs life. And we can essentially see how we can connect to each other connect to nature and then connect to our vision for the next chapter so that we are like you said earlier we're designing this future that we want to live in and that we're doing it consciously in collaboration with each other and with nature so that's really led to this concept of treedom which for me is freedom in the trees and originally it was building this retreat property and then bringing people, visionary thinkers together, and then having a space that they can collaborate in between their in-person retreats to where they can still feel like they're in presence with each other. And that's where the virtual reality comes in. Have you experienced VR and, and been inside the headset and explored around these virtual worlds yet?
0: Absolutely. And in fact, I recorded an episode, I think it's probably going to be about a month old by the time this episode airs, where I just raved. I didn't even have a guest. I was just like, let me just talk about my Oculus and the metaverse apps that I'm madly in love with. And I was specifically talking about Supernatural and Trip, which I am playing with pretty much every day. Like I was just right before we started, I was like, well, after I interview Krista, I am going to go work out in Supernatural for a half an hour. The idea for me that I will look forward to create any space around working out, normally it's like, well, if I can fit it in, and now I'm like, how can I build my entire day around making sure that this happens? Because I have such joy in that experience, partly because of the 360 degree environment Partly because the whole thing feels so real, but I also will sit down with Trip where I'm like, one of my favorite things is meditating in the cosmos or meditating inside of sacred geometry fractal spaces. And the fact that I can do that just, well, speaking of Trip, trips me out because I can feel my brain expanding just doing it. It's just such an incredible experience. To me, all of these immersive environments. I was talking to Mike Turpin, who is one of the, I guess he goes by Michael these days, Michael Turpin, who is called the godfather of Bitcoin. But he and I have known each other like 35 years. And we go back to when I was pioneering interactive movies in the early 90s. And he was a PR dude long before Bitcoin. And we were talking about the metaverse at the Quantum Miami show. And I said, What do you think of this? And what do you think of this? And he goes, Well, it's such a small market now because it's only got a few million users and adoption is taking so long. And I totally agree with him. I just found out that Google has scrapped their higher end VR glasses and looking now to go with something that's going to be lower end so that it can be more mass produced. But in the meantime, I can't imagine like what we're not getting, because I'm sure that what they're like, Google Glass was supposed to be absolutely incredible. But I get that for a market to really have value these days, a few million users isn't enough. And I'm thinking, yeah, it is. Maybe you need 100,000 to break even. So, okay, great. A few million users, that ought to be plenty. But it's not how people think. People are starting to think in terms of billions of users because of what you were saying before about how much really smaller the world has become and how we're expecting to be able to market everything needs to be able to be marketed globally. Michael said maybe he thinks another 10 years to adopt, could be 15 years to adopt. That's too long for me. I want to see this happen in like the next three to five years. However, he has his pulse on this stuff much better than I do. So I had to really sort of, as my friend says, slow my role in that moment and say, well, okay, what if it takes that long? Is that possible? And I suppose the answer is, unless a disruptor comes along, look at chat GPT, suddenly AI is for everyone. And they have a million users after two months, or uh, yeah, it's like six weeks or two months now. So that's really fast uptake because it's such a disruptor to what was available for AI from a text perspective. And from a content creation perspective, by the way, just a reminder to everybody, when Krista says something, or when I say something, it is going to be in the show notes. So if it's something that you think you're interested in, please check the show notes or go to the blog on, I guess it's just hallieevelyncom slash blog that will give you uh, the information about all the different aspects of things that we're talking about. Anyway, just to finish, I feel like we're living inside of the most nascent, kind of delicate, we're almost at that tipping point place. What we're looking for is the kind of disruptor for the metaverse that ChatGPT has been for textual and content AI. And I don't remember what the name of the app is that's creating things like, I don't know, a Muppet Jane Austen that looks exactly like Pride and Prejudice if it were done by Muppets. That's the visual AI version, but that exists too right now. So we need like what's it called? Mid-journey.
2: Mid-journey.
0: Well, all that stuff.
2: Or Stable Diffusion or OpenAI also has an image generator.
0: They're all amazing. And when you see the stuff, it changes the way you think. So I'm waiting for that in the metaverse.
2: Yeah. I really am. I'm so excited. I love what you just shared there. And I would say, so there's a couple of books that I would recommend just to that point. There's Peter Diamandis and Stephen Kotler wrote a trilogy of books that really got me just excited about what's possible and showed a different perspective than the kind of doomsday, climate change, we're all going to blow up the earth kind of perspective. So there is Abundance, Bold, And the future is faster than you think. And those are the three I would recommend. I listen to my books on Audible or on, there's an app called Libby that you can get audiobooks from your local library for free. Those I would highly recommend listening to and seeing. There's also a book called AI 2041, and it's written by a sci-fi movie writer and a futurist. So it's based on it's got really great stories. And it basically kind of tells the story of what life is like in 2041. Oh, that sounds delicious. It's delicious. There are many different chapters and scenarios. So I would highly recommend those. And that can give you more of a sense of where we're going. So my podcast I launched in 2020 I only released one episode, and the episode is on demystifying quantum entropy. And the CEO I interviewed has a company in Australia, and they provide quantum random number generators, which large banks are using to help protect themselves for when quantum comes. And when quantum comes, what I mean by that is quantum satellites that allow for quantum internet that will be then mass adopted because we have quantum computing right now. And then if you talk to spiritual people, they say, I'm in the quantum field all the time. So that's with our own human technology without any quantum satellites. But quantum is going to be a game changer as well.
0: I hate to say that I understand being in the quantum field from the perspective of quantum physics, but I've studied that enough Joe Dispenza, for example, all of his books talk in a very kind of, I'm going to say more English way, (laughs) more easily to understand way about quantum physics. I've studied enough quantum physics to understand the basics of what you're talking about when you say the quantum field. But what I'm going to say is that I need more of an explanation of what you're talking about when you say that, both what the quantum field is, and to be honest with you, you're the first person I've ever heard use quantum as a noun like that, or as an industry, I'm not even sure. So help me to understand or help our listeners to understand what you mean.
2: Yes. And it can be really difficult and take a lot of time to fully understand and digest this, but you have quantum computing, which is actually creating computers. Many of them are the size of giant buildings that are using quantum technology, meaning there is an ability of these different particles to gain resonance and communicate with each other. It's called quantum entanglement. So you can send a message from one particle to another particle without any interference because it's an instant communication.
0: In other words, it's not going from point A to point B Once point A gets it, point B gets it at the same time, right? Exactly,
2: because point A becomes point B.
0: Yes, that seems like basic quantum physics stuff. I guess I just didn't realize that you were able to do that using a computer at this point. Okay, the top of my head is coming off right now. Keep going, this is so exciting.
2: Yes. And so that's technology. And if you listen to the episode, you can get to it from my website. It's Krista.one. You can hear more about what quantum entanglement is, what quantum random number generators are, and what the quantum internet will do to disrupt the technology we know of today. One of the biggest things is it can essentially break through Because the other part of quantum is, so computers use ones and zeros to communicate into all of these different languages. So it's a one or a zero. With quantum, it can be a one and a zero at the same time. So that gives you exponentially more computing power, which can also break cryptography exponentially faster. So cryptography, which is the basis of our security, we're saying cryptocurrencies, they're all based on this, basically assigning a random string of numbers to create a lock in a key system. Yes, the hash codes. Yes, the hash codes. They'll be essentially obsolete once quantum computing, quantum internet becomes mainstream.
0: Because you'd be able to break into anybody's wallet in like a second. Exactly. Well, I hope somebody's working on solving that because otherwise, no matter how much Bitcoin you have, that's going to be useless. Although I suppose at that point we could then use our quantum computers to steal it back. I'm
2: hoping. <laughs> My thought is, okay, there really is no solution to cybersecurity right now. And I don't know that there will be any solid solution in the future because as soon as the security catches up, to the scam or the hack, they're finding a new way to get around it. It's always this cat and mouse and it's helping each other get better. And at the same time, it causes a lot of havoc for companies, for people, for humans. Back to chaos. Yes. Back to chaos. And this is the world we live in. My solution, I mean, there's super simple solution to all of this. And it's essentially, if we were all being the change we wish to see, if each of us had respect for one another and we didn't do those things of stealing from others, tricking others, scamming others, then we wouldn't have any of these problems. Which means that if
0: we want abundance and we want shared abundance and equal abundance, then that levels the playing field and then there's no need for that stuff, yes?
2: Exactly. So, like we said earlier, the the human beings alive on the planet at this time, we all have opportunity, and we have the ability, the power to come together, to work in community, to support each other, lift each other up, and the more that we do that, the more we can be that example. Then the more than that can spread. And I know I'm going to have a lot of naysayers who say this is never going to happen. This is human shadow. This is the way we operate. I get that. And I want my life to be that example of, hey, we can do this if we can prove it in small communities, which is what we're doing right now. As we distribute and as we decentralize, we're building these smaller groups of trusted communities. And if we have the right orienting system, if we can all understand that we are essentially spiritual beings living this human experience the way I see it is it's a simulation already. We're already in the matrix. It's now understanding that we have the opportunity with our free will to be able to guide this next evolution in this age of abundance. It's probably a lot deeper dive of a conversation to understand and to explain the systems that we're working on and building now to be able to make this a reality. But we do have that in my own journey. Once I said, I'm going to go off, I'm going to live on purpose. I'm going to pursue this passion for Treedom, for bringing people together in these transformational spaces and retreats. And for supporting these visionaries who are actively changing the world, I also met my partner who has been working on this system to be able to give the framework and to be able to essentially zoom into the human psyche in virtual reality and be able to see how do we actually make decisions and how we are all actually following these laws of light and these the light language that exists, but we just don't know about it. It sounds that I know can sound a little esoteric and out there. And then it's like, okay, how do we ground this in reality? And in reality, we are merging with technology in the fact that we are having these conversations through technology. It's carrying our communications. We're using now AI on a massive scale to where you can't tell whether a human wrote something or a computer wrote something.
0: And often you can't tell whether somebody on camera, whether that thing was something that they actually said, because now they have those things they call deep fakes. And if they have deep fakes to the point where you can't tell today, now, the difference between reality and a fake thing, I can only imagine what things are gonna be like 10 years from now. I think it's Marshall McLuhan said that information was speeding up to the point where like we can never catch up with it again. I loved what you said about that we are merging with technology. I never thought about it like that, but you're right. I mean, we're communicating through technology. People are hearing this episode or seeing this episode through technology. We are transmitting our thoughts, magnifying and amplifying our thoughts through technology. And for the most part, especially as we move to a more virtual environment, We are using technology in every regard. I was at a family reunion of over 40 people on a Saturday, my girlfriend's family. And it was really interesting. So many of the people in the younger generation, they were sitting there interacting with their phones the entire afternoon. Even though they were also participating in conversations, some of them are like baby in one hand, food in the other hand, phone on the table, but so much of that. And then the little kids, everybody's growing up with the phone in their hand and technology is so much a part of what everybody is participating in. So it's such an, like it's an outlandish concept until you start to break it down. And then it's like, oh yeah, okay.
2: So I'm just still trying to wrap my head around it, but yeah, that's, you're so right. Actually why we're starting with the pause. So what my partner and I ha- are creating is through, we have a club called the Human 101 Club. And in this club, we are exploring what it means to be human and we're mapping it in virtual realities. So we've got this map of the mind that explains this color language And the fact that a pause is basically two ones. And when you zoom inside, there's nothing. So that's a zero. So it's a one, zero, one. So if we're able to just pause life, say we have on our phones, we've already got these tools that have been distributed to almost every human, even in third world countries, they have these phones.
0: I'm sorry to interrupt. I literally heard a statistic that knocked me on my ear at the Women in Web 3 panel that there are more people who have cell phones than drinking water in the world. And I was so devastated by that. All right, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think that really gives us an idea of, as you were saying, how ubiquitous the phones are.
2: Yeah. And imagine if we could use those phones to help those people who need drinking water to receive drinking water. So it's a beautiful thing that everyone has the phone. What we don't have is we haven't turned them on, right? So we haven't actually collectively turned on our phones and said, yes, we are all one human race. We have already created this internet or if You believe in Akashic records or the ether or this global shared storage of knowledge and memories that exists outside of the Internet. We've already recreated it with our technology and we all have the unlock keys, but we haven't turned them on and connected them yet. So if we can create a pause button that allows us to pause and first check in with our heart, our mind. In our body, which is our human technology. Our body is actually our center of matter. And matter is everything that's physical on yourself and that you own. So if we can pause and consciously understand how to check in with ourselves before we go diving into our phones, we're going to spend a lot less time endlessly, mindlessly droning on TikTok or Facebook And we're going to use our technology for what it can help us do and then learn how our human technology can help us to better connect, have more meaning in our lives and actually create together rather than getting sucked into technology and unconsciously merging with it.
0: You're right. And so many of us are doing that unconscious merging. I am definitely trying to be more conscious about my cell phone usage. I mean, I'm such an early adopter. It's like, if it's bleeding edge, give it to me. But I'm learning that I really need to take breaks from that. Like We try to do a technology Shabbat where we'll go away for the weekend and we won't have our phones with us at all, or it'll just be used for a camera and that's it to take a couple pictures. It's hard because the phone is used for so many things it's like, Oh, I can use my phone as a radio. I can use my phone as a TV. I can use my phone as a camera as a, like right now I'm studying Duolingo and I'm learning Spanish. I'm 25 days in every single day. And I'm finally found an app that I really like. And that I'm learning a language from turned out my entire family was on there first, my favorite cousins on there already. So now we're like all on together and the gamifying of our lives. Has definitely, I can see that effect because the fact that it's a game, I always end up doing usually a second lesson or sometimes even a third lesson because it's more fun. And so I'm I'm enjoying, and then also the little characters are always saying, it's like mindset coaching five in a row, like you rock, you're so awesome. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And let's keep going. And so we're having these interactions with our technology as if they're people. And as if they're people who are cheering us on and who are so enthusiastic and the same thing in Supernatural, one of my favorite things is the coaches are always like, you're such an athlete. And I'm always like, yeah, I really am. I've never been athletic in my life, but there are my coaches telling me like, you go girl and I'm loving it. So I feel like we are getting like such positive emotional feedback from our inanimate object that in addition to it being ubiquitous, oh, it's also a library and you, know, you can read books on it and it's an encyclopedia. I mean, I never need to look anything up anymore because it's just all there, right? Oh, that's where I look it up, but it's like super easy. So there's so much that our phones are are for us and somebody just invents like a girlfriend, boyfriend app. I mean, that's it, like we might as well, like society will just wither and die because it won't need need any interaction whatsoever. We won't have any human interaction. So I don't know, I mean, I'm excited to see what happens with the technology of the future. What I love about what you've been sharing throughout this episode is that you see a positive future. And I think so many people, as you said, see that negative like climate change and politicization. Okay, I've said that all wrong, but the politicking of the world. And there's been such clashing in our societies with just people. And you are seeing more of the utopian version of that. And I think it's needed that we talk about, well, okay, maybe bad things could happen, but so much good could come and so much good can come in the world. The idea of using phones to harness the ability for everyone to have clean drinking water. I know there are people in DAOs and there are people, the uh, digital autonomous organizations, which is also part of Web3. There are people who are, are like, I know Charity Water, that is one of their core tenets is using people's technology to be able to get clean drinking water. There's so many of these things that are happening that are good. And one of my favorite things about crypto is a lot of it is the tokens are backing projects that are designed to help save our planet. And I think that that's so beautiful.
2: Yeah, so well said. And that's what's exciting for me too. There's a natural human tendency to go to the negative because that's been our survival mechanism. We've got to see what we need to be afraid of. And We also tend to default just to keep it simple because of this abundance, it's overwhelming and we've gotta just choose and it tends to be this black or white thing. So what we're saying in Human 101 Club is we need to go beyond the black and white. And when you go beyond black and white, you see that white is actually a spectrum of color. And the color is just the one ray of light broken down into this. You know, you take a prism, you take white light, it then turns into the spectrum of rainbow. If you also work in computers, you've designed anything, you may also understand that RGB, red, green, blue, is the base language of computer color. So we've already have a language that exists there that both humans, if we understand what red, green and blue means generally, and we use that to communicate, then we can soften some of our communications and be able to teach ourselves to be more conscious and to go beyond these opposite dualities that cause us so much friction and conflict. So then we can see these greater possibilities Help me understand, I'm
0: sure we're like so close to this being the longest episode ever recorded, but I just find everything you say to be so fascinating. Help me understand how using RGB as a like language of color on a computer, how does that help us communicate better as people?
2: Yeah. So the idea around it is to give essentially a buffer between language. There's so much that gets miscommunicated and people can get offended and people can really take things wrong the way we say things. So if we give a buffer before and we teach ourselves that red represents my body, green represents my heart, and blue represents my mind. And then we're learning to check in with our heart, our body, and our mind before we're going out there and communicating and saying things out into the world that are then going to become part of our public history and our legacy, then we're taking that pause. And I could say, you know what, I'm going into this. I know that my brain is foggy and it's a really dark, kind of in a dark place, in a dark blue. It's not turned on right now. And maybe my heart is a little bit also constricted because I just got in a fight. I was really angry. My heart shut down. It's very dark green. And then my body, I've got all this energy. Maybe it's fully on, but it's just not in a good place. So all of these can represent different colors on the spectrum. And I can put that as a snapshot when I pause. So I can pause. I can say whatever follows this statement is going to be affected by my state of feeling right now. And then that can give a layer of context and it can be very confusing. And there's part of that confusion is on purpose because we're trying to be really clear and sharp with our language. But a lot of the times we miss the mark. If we can put a little buffer out there and have people stop and think, Okay. before I react to this, before I judge others, before I go in and put my perspective, I know that this person isn't fully on and this person may have some other things that are affecting what they're saying. So it's just giving a little bit of a buffer and a little bit of a pause before we respond and teaching us to actually understand our own human technology before we go in and throw out our perspective out into the world. And the other thing that's really important, and we could probably do a whole nother episode on this. And I want to introduce you to my friend who's the chief wellness officer at TRIP who could give you a lot of background there on that experience as well. But the other thing is it's so important that we pause and learn our own human technology before we merge, so that if one of these apocalyptic, I believe all apocalyptic movies, these dystopian futures, our future selves telling us, hey, you don't want to do this, like find a better way, be more creative, and don't let this happen. This is your warning, you have free will, but this is your warning, don't do this. So we also need to learn how to use our own human technologies, we're starting to see clairvoyant, telepathic, All of these things, we have examples of humans who have these supernatural capabilities and they're only going to evolve as we evolve. So we need to understand our human technology so that if, God forbid, a pulse hits, we don't have Internet, we don't have the chat GPT or MidJourney to rely on to do our work for us, we can still connect with ourselves, connect with each other and do it in a way that is humane and respectful to one another. Beautiful. I'll leave it at that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I could talk to you all day. I always ask at the end of every episode, what's one more thing that you want our viewers and listeners to
2: know? Know that you are a super bionic computer. Your body is your avatar. It is amazingly Intelligent and connected, and that every single human being on this planet, no matter what gender, race, color, where you were born, we are all innovators. That is our role as human beings to be that connection between the heavens and the earth, the space and the ground. And every one of us is important. And if we can actually see that and see these puzzle pieces, then we can come together in a global game. And we can actually solve global problems by playing together.
0: Thank you so much. I always love the women who come on the show because everyone is so creative and inventive and innovative. And I always hear such fresh and new ideas. I have to say in all of the episodes, I think these are the deepest, most powerful new concepts that I have ever heard. And it's been my pleasure and my honor to get to interview you and to and to have this conversation. So thank you so much, Krista. I know that you all will be hearing more from Krista because wow, what a mind blower she is. I hope that you will share this episode with all of the women in your life, your mothers and your daughters, your friends, your girlfriends, your wives, and just make sure that every woman knows about Goddess of Crypto so that she can empower herself. We know that the future of finance is female and that we can't be what we can't see. So share this episode so that we can all make the world a better place, which is the world that Krista wants us to be living in and me too. So thank you so much, Krista. And until next time, everyone, I will see you on Goddess of Crypto.
1: Every week, transformational wealth coach Hallie Evelyn leads a conversation that helps to ensure that women everywhere can learn to surf the coming tsunami of the new energy of money. You can find her at goddessofcrypto.me. That's goddessofcrypto.me. Be sure to subscribe to Goddess of Crypto on your favorite platform or watch the show on YouTube. And remember, wealth isn't just your privilege. It's your right.